0: All right, we have this common expression. We use it all the time. Uh, we say that seeing is believing. All right, seeing is believing. So when we say seeing is believing, what do we mean? What does that mean when you say that or hear that expression? Anybody? Skepticism, get yeah. see it, it's physical. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I like this combination. So friend, you said something about Skepticism. being skeptical. Skepticism. Skepticism. Good. Yeah. Like if you see something for yourself if you see it with your own two eyes, then maybe you're gonna believe, uh, maybe that can address that skepticism, right? Um, You might believe something exists or is true despite the fact that it might seem unlikely. So Scott, I was thinking about you, right? This is a shameless plug for your book. I never thought that Scott Newhouse would write a book until the retirement tax bomb came out on Amazon. But seeing is believing, okay? Shameless plug: Ten bucks, or just take me to a Clipper game. That's even better. That's way better than ten bucks. Okay, I'll choose the game. I'll let you know which one I want to go to. All right. All right. Yeah, that could be part of our future conversation. Good. So I was thinking about, you know, growing up, I always had perfect eyesight. There came a day um, when, after our daughters were born, I realized, like, I'm getting old. You know, like, I don't see as well. Uh, as I used to, and I had this optometrist friend, Dr. Lynn Cacciotti, she was the first person to point this out to me, Um, and she did it by a series of tests in an eye exam, if we all had one of those eye exams before, right? Okay, so they go something like this. Is your vision better now, click, or now? Is it better first, click, or second? Okay? This is the eye exam, and the doctor does this for like, what, 150 times <laughs> until they have your prescription figured out. And then the last one is they say, can you see better now or now? Right? And so when I got to that point, I'm like, I get it. All right? I see a lot better uh, with my glasses on than I do with my glasses off, and I've been wearing them ever since. The important question for today Uh, that our uh, selection of scripture is going to raise today is, is seeing always believing? Is that just always a true statement, or is there more going on? Or maybe rephrase something like this, is the physical ability to see the same or different as insight? Can we see well, but still not understand something? Can we have perfect vision, but not have the proper insight? into who jesus really is and so we're going to explore these questions because what we're going to see is that those with perfect vision may still lack insight and the one from our story who has no ability to see is the one who will teach us what insight looks like so let's pray god our helper by your holy spirit we ask that you would open our minds that you would lead us into your truth, that we might better open up our hearts and our hands for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the benefit of the world. Amen. All right, here we go. Mark 10, 32 to 52. They're on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them, what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, they will mock him, spit upon him, flog him, and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand, or my left, is not mine to grant. But it's only for those whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. They came to Jericho, and he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. He sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Note the same question. The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight, and he followed him on the way. The word of the Lord. Jesus is headed south. He's made his turn towards the city of Jerusalem. And this is the third and final time that Jesus will predict his suffering, death, and resurrection. Saying the same thing three times. Pretty easy stuff. It means it's important. He needs his disciples to understand. They must have insight or they cannot know who Jesus is. If they don't know who Jesus is, they can't follow Jesus on the way. You hear this language now over and over and over again, three times. Jesus has now told his disciples he has to go to Jerusalem, be handed over to the Jewish and Gentile authorities, and he is going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to rise. And we remember, um, do the disciples have insight? Do they understand this yet? The answer is no, they don't. We saw Peter a few weeks ago rebuke Jesus for saying this. Remember that? He wants Jesus to choose the path of victory. And he cannot see that suffering could possibly be the pathway to victory. Peter cannot see this. And so now in the second part of our text today, what we're going to see is that James and John, they they don't see clearly either. They don't get it. As Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road to Jerusalem, James and John, think about this, they know something's wrong. They have to pull Jesus aside. Jesus is walking out in front, it said. They have to join, they have to leave the group, and they've got to walk up to Jesus to kind of whisper in his ear. They don't want, to hear, they don't want the other disciples hearing what they're about to ask Jesus to do. And so they ask him. We have probably the most audacious request in, scripture, in the gospel narrative, right? And so they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just, just, just think about that question, okay? When someone asks you for a favor and they don't tell you what it is, just say, well, you can do two things. First, just say no. <laughs> or second, turn and run. Like something <gasps> terrible is about to happen if someone cannot ask you for what it is that they need to ask you for, right? It's like, when I thought about it, it sounds like the, the question of, like, a, a toddler, you know? It's like, if you know that your parent is going to say no to you, what do you do? You resort to asking for nothing by asking for everything. Like, this is, that's the kind of question we have here. So, like, these brothers are asking Jesus, essentially, just, like, sign a blank check. That's what's going on. Hey, can you sign this check for me? And there's no amount on it, right? This is what's going on. Um, this is absolutely outrageous, right? And so even after hearing about the suffering and death for the third time, they still believe that this kind of grandeur and glory awaits them. In Jerusalem, when Jesus inherits his messianic kingdom, they still have this idea in the back of their mind. So what are they doing? These brothers are jockeying for position so that when Jesus inherits this kingdom, they will sit in the positions of honor at the right and left hand of Jesus. And so this is like, this is some really simple stuff, right? When Jesus asks them, what do you want? James and John want positions of privilege. This is what they think they are owed by Jesus. We followed this guy. This is what we deserve. They're asking, for, they're asking for privilege. Jewish custom, the highest place of honor was at the center, followed by the right side and then the left side. Like being brothers, I'm surprised these two brothers didn't have an all-out brawl over the coveted right-hand seat. Like my brother and I used to fight over who got the last cookie. You know? This is some important stuff here. And Jesus responds to James and John's request, saying that you guys have no clue what you're asking for. Not a clue. You want all the benefits. You want all the glory. They want all the accolades, all the perks of being celebrities in God's kingdom. This is what these guys want, you know? But they don't want to hear about the cost of living in this kingdom. They want all the glory and the accolades without the cost. And so we know right away we've got this serious problem. Like their vision's probably fine, but do they have insight? No, they don't. They have no idea. They're lacking the spiritual vision that they need to actually live in this kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Because what Jesus says is the opposite. He says that inside the kingdom, greatness is service under, not power over. Service under. And so Jesus says, if you want to be first, if you want to win, and James and John want to win, Peter wants to win, said, if you want to be be on the winning team, you need to be the servant of all. Because Jesus, this is one of the great lines in Mark's gospel. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the insight that the disciples were lacking. And so Jesus and his disciples, they enter the city of Jericho. And due to proximity, Jerusalem is now literally coming into focus. They are close. From the road of Jericho to Jerusalem, it's literally an uphill climb, 3,500 feet to be precise. Mark is using this metaphorically as well. The last leg of this journey from Jericho to Jerusalem was going to be the most challenging leg of the journey for Jesus and for those who would follow him there. It would be this agonizing road. We remember that even Jesus would pray that God might suggest a different road to take. That's how hard this last leg of the journey is going to be. There in Jericho, they come across this blind beggar, Bartimaeus. He's the only person healed in Matthew, Mark, or Luke whose name is given. What does that mean? Jesus probably knew this guy. He knows him by name. Could it been? Could it have been that this blind beggar had been following? Jesus to Jerusalem this whole time. It is really possible. This might be the clue we're getting by him being listed by name. There's something special about Bart, right? we will call him Bart because it's easier. The story serves as a high point on Mark's teaching on faith and discipleship. This blind beggar is going to be our picture of a disciple. The one, it's like the irony here is the blind one is the one that can see clearly. He's the one that has the insight. While those closest to Jesus, the one who had all, the all-access pass, they're with him all the time, they're the ones that don't have the spiritual vision that they need. Here's four words that the finish of this story walks us through. This is the picture of discipleship in four words that Mark is sharing with us. This is his move. He asks. He asks expecting something to happen. He encounters resistance, and he has to persist through that resistance. And as he pushes through the resistance of the crowd, he gains understanding or insight. Okay, So this is the picture that we're going to see. So Jericho, one of the oldest inhabited cities on the face of the earth. And as they leave it at 840 feet below sea level, okay, think about this, They begin the 3,500-foot climb to Jerusalem. They encounter this guy sitting on the side of the road, and there he is. Bartimaeus is the quintessential picture of a marginalized human being, the ultimate outsider. What are the insiders doing? They're in the Jesus parade, okay? They're they're having fun. They're ready. They're fired up. It's almost like a mini little parade, like uh, what's it? Palm Sunday coming up in a couple of weeks. Think about that. They're all excited. These insiders are following Jesus. They're fired up. They're on the way to Jerusalem. And this guy shouts out at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a clue. This guy knows, not only does Jesus know his name, this guy knows who Jesus is, right? And so the gospel writer is trying to say to us that Bartimaeus knows exactly who Jesus is. He's God's designated royal agent, son of David. This is the clue that he, this guy gets it. Those closest to Jesus have no idea. Bartimaeus lacks an eyesight he more than makes up for with his insight. And for me, the big surprise was the crowd. Disappointing, right? I read this story and the reaction of the crowd, these so-called insiders, what do they try to do to this guy? They just try to shut him up. Instead of standing in solidarity with him, instead of advocating on his behalf, they try to keep this marginalized man right where he is, on the margins, sitting on the sidelines. They want him out of the game. They want this man to remain invisible or unheard. Think about what we sometimes do when we walk by people on the street. We don't want to make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. right? They want to avoid this man. They want to pretend that he doesn't even exist. They don't want this guy messing up the Jesus parade, right? And so this crowd probably really believed this guy deserved to be exactly where he was. In the first century, people believed that maybe it was this guy's sin or the sin of his parents that caused his condition, and there he is. He's getting what he deserves, right? And, of course, we know this is uh, some, some pretty bad theology. Jesus has some things to say about this in other places. Um, but they just don't want to deal with this guy. They want him to be silent. They want him to stay in his lane. Uh, they want him to stay in his place. They don't want to deal with him as an equal, as a human. Uh, and they definitely w- don't want him to mess up this good thing that they have going with Jesus. What does Bartimaeus do? He doesn't care. He ignores him. He <laughs> shouts, all the louder is what it said. When the crowd rebukes him, he doesn't care. He encounters this resistance. He shows persist- persistence. He shouts all the louder. The guy refused to be deterred from getting to Jesus. They try to silence him, but nothing can stop this guy um, from being heard. The, the opposition just serves to make him try all the harder. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, This is, this is awesome. Jesus stops. He stops. He stops. He halts the whole Jesus parade for this one guy. We've seen this multiple times in Mark, right, where this interruption uh, Jesus allows himself to be interruptible by one person, even above a great crowd of people. And so, this man now—this is incredible. All these people, this this one man has the full attention of the Son of God. The story could have ended right here. I would be really happy, right? I'd be really satisfied. By stopping, Jesus has already stood in solidarity with this man while everyone else stood against him. But it just gets better. Jesus calls him over, and Mark flashes this important detail that sometimes, most of the time when I've read this, I've just kind of glossed right over it. In his excitement, anybody remember what he does? What does he do with his coat? He throws it. (laughs) Why does he throw his coat? He's not going to need it anymore. His, literally his location, his vocation is about to change. This details in the story because he fully expects that things are about to be different. He's about to experience transformation and this change in status. Think about what he probably did. He probably sat on that coat every single day. His coat, think of it like a beach blanket. This man sets out his beach blanket on the side of the road, and he sits on his probably his one possession that he sits on to stake out his little claim, his little piece of the earth that's his. His coat symbolizes that little place that he sits every single day. He throws his coat away because he knew he's not going to need it again. He's no longer going to be seated by the side of the road. He knows he's not going to be begging any longer. His, he fully expects that things are about to change and for the better, all because he calls out, he knows who he's calling out to, Jesus, the Son. He knows Jesus is the Son of God. Look at the question Jesus asks. What do you want me to do for you? It's the exact same question that Jesus asked James and John, right? He asked the exact same question to Bartimaeus. James and John, they asked for privilege. What does Bartimaeus ask for? He says, Lord, have mercy on me. They asked for privilege. He asks not for privilege, but for mercy. What does this say about Jesus? Jesus is the granter of mercy, not privilege, Right? Bartimaeus doesn't want to be superhuman. He just wants to be more fully human. He is healed. The whole world opens up to him. And this is some fun stuff. This guy can go anywhere he wants right now. His whole life is about to be changed. It has been changed. Where does he want to go? It's not Disneyland. Where does he say? He can go anywhere he wants. What does he say he's going to do? He says he's going to join the Jesus parade. And he's going to follow Jesus on the way? Where are they going? Yeah. Good. Yeah. They have to go up the big hill, right? Before they can drop down into Jerusalem. That's exactly right. Right? So this guy can go anywhere. He can do anything. And what does he say he's going to do? He's like, he's going to join Jesus on the way. He. This is amazing. This guy can see now. He can see the road. He can see the mountain that we're talking about. You can see this 35, you know, 100-foot climb, but Mark is using this. He can also see it figuratively as well. This is going to be a hard journey. And this guy decides to take that journey with Jesus, knowing full well the road ahead is going to be difficult. Both the disciples and Bartimaeus were blind, but only one of them showed was shown to have insight, right? So the question is, and this is probably lunchtime conversation, because um, we're not going to be able to spend too much time on it. But what is seeing for Mark? What does it mean to see or to have insight? Um, if somebody has an answer, you're welcome to throw it out there. Uh, if you don't, this would be a good question to talk about over lunch. Unless, of course, you're going to yeah. the border, border class, which we'll be talking about a different subject. Um, what does it mean? Understanding. Good, yeah. Have some understanding. Good. Perfect. Yeah, I think it's the ability to understand. That's exact. That was the word I chose. Easy word. Um, the ability to see, to understand who Jesus really is. To see a more complete picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. One that doesn't leave things, important things, out of the story. Right? Because understanding we know from listening to Jesus is always going to include this uphill road to Jerusalem. It includes the cross. It includes living a life of service under, not power over. Faith in Jesus leads to discipleship. Discipleship is always about following Jesus on the way. We should get used to those words. The temptation here is really easy. We could easily point the finger at Peter, James, and John. We can ridicule them for being idiots. Be easy. Piece of cake. These knuckleheads are with him the whole time, and they don't get it. Oh, man, can you believe these guys? And we can beat them up if we want to. Uh, But I don't think that's what Mark wants us to do. Mark would always prefer that we take the eye exam for ourselves. All right? So we're going to do it. We're going to take the eye exam for (laughs) ourselves. What ways do we seek privilege over mercy? It's a tough question. In what ways do we exert power over instead of service under? This is the eye exam for us. Do we see Jesus for who he really is, the suffering servant Messiah who walked the road to the cross for the sake of the world? Because when we see Jesus in this manner, the manner in which Scripture points us to, we're going to have insight. Insight produces faith. Faith asks us to walk the road with Jesus. We walk the road with the saints who came before us. We walk this same road with the ones who will come behind us all in a life of service. So seeing isn't always believing, but insight into Jesus is what we know. It's always a gift of the Spirit. And so may the gift of insight lead us to follow Jesus on the way, because that's what it did for blind Bartimaeus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the challenge of your word. And, God, we just ask that you would help us to see more clearly, to point less fingers, to look a little bit deeper into the mirror uh, of our own lives, to see ourselves for the ways that not only we get it right, God, but the ways in which we get it wrong, uh, the ways in which we choose privilege over mercy, for the ways in which we exert power over instead of service under. Uh, Discipleship asks something different of us, God. So we ask for your spirit to be with us, to give us the courage, the strength to put one foot in front of the other, to live our lives for you, for the sake of the world. Amen.